Welcome back to the Next Iteration Podcast. On today's episode, we interview Shravan. Shravan's a business student at UFT and the host of the Industry Insights Podcast, where he interviews professionals in business that have an interesting career paths. He drops some gems on this episode, including the importance of maintaining your mental health, what it was like to host a TED Talk, and the time you got to see Quavo's diamond encrusted glasses up close. We've included a link to his podcast in the description in case you want to hear more from him. Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity. Yeah, excited. Looking, love, looking forward to the conversation because as it seems that we have some overlapping interests. Um, yeah, I mean, before we jump in, like, how are you? Like, how's how's twenty twenty one been treating you? I mean, twenty twenty one's been okay. Uh, we're what about a month, almost two. Like, it's February, so we're a little bit in. But uh, in terms of how it's been so far, lockdown is rough. If I'm being like completely transparent, I'm so yes, done sir. with mm-hmm. the whole pandemic, but I'm sure everyone kind of resonates with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just looking forward to things getting slowly back to normal as these vaccines roll out, finishing up my last semester in school. So things are pretty smooth sailing right now in Shravan's life. So, yeah. What about you guys? Not to hear it. Uh, I mean, kind of similar things. Uh, we can echo most of that. Like, we're still in school right now, and Zoom University is been a struggle to say the least Um, (laughs) yeah we were talking about this before but we both basically just went into this semester already burnt out from the previous one so Mm -hmm. it's it's been kind of rough it's tough but yeah i mean at least we have things like this to look forward to but yeah speaking of similar interests so as some of our fans may know we are very interested in podcasting and (laughs) we're also interested in some of the lessons that you have kind of gained through your experiences and you know in looking at um, some of the guests that you've had on um, you've had some pretty high profile guests um, which is really cool to see yeah so um, we will I mean jump around a bit under the podcasting topic but what are some of the tips that you have for connecting with high profile high value individuals and I guess like this is something that even if you don't have a podcast, if you're reaching out to people you want to have a coffee chat with, just connect, mm-hmm. maybe get a mentor or something from like, what are some tips you would have for establishing that connection? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's a question I get very, very often. I think my answer is always, always consistent. I'd say number one, your mentality should always be around the lines of shoot your shot. You have absolutely nothing to mm-hmm. lose when you send a connect invite or send a small note on LinkedIn, just asking someone for their time. The worst case scenario is that they ignore you. And at the end of the day, you're borderline net neutral. It only takes you about five to 10 seconds to send that message. Right. Mm -hmm, So when I say, when it comes to, I guess, getting in contact with these more high profile guests or actually landing them to spend an hour or two of their time with me on an interview or whatever it may be. I think the one thing that's definitely helped me is just, building my network over time. Uh, At first, it's going to be very, very difficult to find these more high profile people that are willing to take the time out of their day to talk to you. But Mm -hmm. at least from a podcasting perspective, once you have one person that's high profile that is willing to give you their time, it only takes one is what I'm trying to say. You only have to get lucky once. And then after that, you've already gained a level of credibility. So for Mm -hmm. me personally, my first, I guess, unicorn of a person to interview was 
Travis Ames. He was the VP of consumer and devices at Microsoft. So pretty mm-hmm. senior executive. He, when he's been working at the company for 20 years, met Bill Gates, all this. And from that, I was able to go to other high profile people and say, Hey, this is what I've been working on. This is what the project is about. Uh, Travis Ames was involved with it. VP at Microsoft. I'm sure that you would like your name to be associated with his as well. So I think shoot as many shots as you can and hope that you get lucky. And at the end of the day, it really is a numbers game. If you shoot a thousand shots, one, two, three sure. might hit. If you shoot a hundred, zero might hit. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's about getting those messages out there and having, or just being really relentless in your pursuit of their time at the end of the day, because they are such busy people. Yeah, that's super yeah. great advice. I think we can both like relate to that a lot. Like we've had a similar experience on the podcast in terms of getting more and more high profile guests on and kind of doing it gradually. Yeah. Um, but those are those are super great tips. And it's important to recognize that they don't just apply to podcasting as well, right? Like mm-hmm. anyone you want to be connected with in any sort of industry, whether it's um, you know, for a coffee chat, whether it's for a referral or anything like that, or there's just to build your network in general and just more meet more people who are like-minded. I think people tend to you know, have this like fear that of rejection, but really like, like you said, it's five to 10 seconds. It's a message. Like, what do you really lose on that? You're pretty much Mm -hmm. neutral, even if you get a no. Um, And I think that's, (laughs) that's like a super, super good thing to keep in mind. We had like a pretty similar experience with Nick Caldwell too. He was like one of the VP engineering at Twitter. And it's actually funny because he spent like 20 years of his career at Microsoft as well. So I'm sure he knows Travis Ames. Like um, (laughs) he like started up Power BI there and like they're probably buddies because yeah, he was like in meetings with Bill Gates as well and all that. So yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. We got our next guest then say no more (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that's cool so what's your um preferred attack modality of choice are you like are you a fan of the cold email are you using linkedin predominantly yeah yeah i'd say um my strategy really revolves around number one i decide who i want to interview so what i mean by that is i'll come up with or someone will come up to me and be like hey love the podcast I'm really interested in something outside the scope of business. I'm more interested in the fashion realm. And then mm-hmm. now I'm at this point where I'm trying to change the scope of my podcast and kind of broaden it to be more applicable to people outside of business roles. So I went, okay, I want to talk to someone that's accomplished in the fashion industry. So from there, I think about brands, companies, or roles that I think would be really interesting to interview. So from there, I went to Louis Vuitton, Hermes, these designer uh, fashion brands. And I went on LinkedIn. I typed the company name. I see if I have anyone with mutual connections. So if I have like a second or even sometimes I'm lucky enough to have a first. Right. And I send one message. I have the same message I send to absolutely everyone. It's within that 130 character limit of when you click add a note for that connect request on LinkedIn. Super, super basic message. Um, and then from there, I just hope that they add me back. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to the point where they add me back and reply and kind of gauge for more information. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they just add me back regardless. If I get added back, I follow up with a more large scale email of what the project is about, uh, the project scope. I drop the names of the high profile individuals, of course, (laughs) give it some credibility, drop some stats that make it just sound a lot more impressive. And from there, um, you kind of think of it as a funnel, right? So from there, less people will engage with it, but eventually you come to two, three, four people that are willing to be interviewed. And then from there, you can be selective in terms of who you decide to spend your time with, which is Mm -hmm. something that I never thought would be possible, but Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the ideal situation that you want to see yourself in. 
Yeah, Man, I saw person. Fuad's eyes light up when you mentioned some of those uh, name brands over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a um, big fashion guy personally, so I'm looking forward to that fashion episode that you drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next month, uh, sometime this month. Now it's February. Next yeah. month, okay. Cool. We'll make sure to cool. we'll make sure to link the show in the description too, so everyone listening can watch that too. Um, yeah, I'm actually like super interested. Like, you know, industry insights. I guess the primary reason is giving business students uh, sort of like the chance to see stories in business, right? And mm-hmm. you mentioned that you start starting to broaden your perspective, not just business, but like, you know, fashion, uh, sports, like whatever it is. I'm curious to know what key industry insights have you gained and how have you like kind of been applying them in your life? Yeah, I'd say the most valuable ones for me have always been the intangibles that I've gained through the podcast. So I think one thing that's helped me personally is just through interviewing people, I've learned how to ask questions in an engaging manner. So in terms of any time I'm in just a conversation or a coffee chat, a coffee chat is just an interview that isn't publicized. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's not not necessarily an industry insight, but that's more of like a latent function or latent skill that I've gained through the podcast. In terms of mm-hmm. some of the advice that I've gotten, it's been absolutely incredible. I know one thing that I keep in mind a lot, especially within my work, is um, a piece of wisdom Travis had for me. He said, uh, energize everybody. That was essentially his life motto. That's what he uh, atoned so much of his success to, or attributed rather. And I think that's something that I've kind of applied through my work when I was working my internship. I know it's really hard and people get really bored when they're just sitting on Zoom meetings every day, day in, day out. So I tried to give a lot more effort and enthusiasm to those meetings to just really bring up the atmosphere within whatever call or whatever engagement I'm in. So I think that's one that's been super, super valuable to me. Um, and beyond that, I think a lot of the advice or wisdom that I've gotten has been outside the scope of my work even. So there have been a couple episodes that I haven't been able to air for administrative or bureaucratic reasons. Uh, one of those episodes specifically was with a CEO of a startup. And his advice was, regardless of what you're going through mentally or with your mental health, if you're depressed or if you have anxiety, it doesn't matter. Even if you're completely fine mental or in a completely fine mental state, he recommended that you take up therapy. And for some reason, Mm -hmm. I was really, really Mm -hmm. kind of looking for direction at this point in my life. So that interview came at a really great time and I went into therapy. And for me personally, I've never had the best mental health, but I've never had the worst mental health by any means, but I found it very, very valuable. And if it wasn't for industry insights i would have never gone that mental health or that direction that i needed at that point in my life so that's amazing i yeah, love I those that. are some of my biggest takeaways from the podcast i have um a bunch of um thoughts on that like for the first point that first travis quote it reminds me of something i read that by a piece by kevin kelly um similar to kind of on the same note what travis said but um kevin said uh enthusiasm is worth 25 iq points and, you know, that's kind of like that missing factor a lot of times because you can be as smart as you, as you want, but if you're just lazy and you're kind of dragging your heels to work every day, first of all, people are going to kind of avoid you like the plague. Like nobody wants that negative energy, that bad exactly. energy. Yeah. Um, but if you're enthusiastic, you know, everybody feeds off of that. You're the, you're the lifeline. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. You're the lifeline of that entire um, workspace. And um, the, oh, shoot, what was the second point? Mental health. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's so it's that's an interesting point because it kind of ties into the same thought of why high performance athletes or even like just people who are generally at the pinnacle of their respective game, or even if you're a musician, mm. um, I don't know, like coder, just life in general, 
you still find those people getting coaches, getting mentors, right? And you would think like, okay, well, you're already like a all-star. You're you're a five-time NBA champ. Like, why do you need a coach at this point, right? You know it all. But it takes some of that outside perspective to show you like what you're missing. Like it's it's hard from the inside looking out to kind of identify some of those holes that are that are riddling your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's super super valuable and like especially with the case of mental health a lot of high performance people like they just they tend to put it off right like it's mm-hmm. not important i can be spending my time like working on this connecting with this person whatever and just yeah. high anxiety high stress all the time and like it's a good propulsive force like yeah anxiety that that tension keeps you going but you know it's just it, you're a ticking time bomb at that point 100 mm-hmm. percent, and i think what it comes back to is really like this whole idea of inertia. Once you start mm-hmm. moving in one direction, at least I know for me personally, it's really hard for me to stop if I see the next steps to do. If I'm passionate yeah. about the project, I just keep going with it no matter what it is. And I think it's really easy, like you said, to just lose track of your mental health and your mental state. And I guess even to your point of like high performance athletes, I was reading this article. I'm not the biggest basketball fan, but Kyrie Irving recently took a mental health break from playing mm-hmm. the game mm-hmm. and he came back and now he's averaging what 30 points per game which is yeah, ridiculous yeah. and that's unheard of like no one in the nba has ever taken like a mental health break it's usually oh i broke my femur uh mm-hmm. let me take a break and skip a couple games but i think that really sets a good precedent in some of these more uh hyper competitive industries to mm-hmm. care about your mental health for sure yeah and i think one of the things you mentioned as well like setting the precedent that it doesn't need to be bad for you to start like you know it, it's sort of it's it it should seem self-evident right like you Mm. know you have a car you don't put your car to maintenance only when it breaks down and can't drive anymore right exactly oil changes consistently like why shouldn't mental health be the exact same thing or just like in general the ethos that something has to be wrong for you to take action against it like there's no such thing as like bad and that's the cutoff from when you start like you should always be trying to improve it and something like mental health like i don't think there's really an upper limit on how on how great your mental health can be right well hopefully not uh, hopefully it gets better <laughs> from here. Um, but yeah, I think it's that's a really great attitude of like framing and, and looking at it. Mm, for sure. Yeah. And kind of like on that topic of change, like you, I mean, even just the idea of taking a sabbatical, taking time off, right? Like you want to be able to put yourself in a new environment so you can come back fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, you were one of the few people, I guess, who have had the unique opportunity to speak at a TEDx conference or a TEDx talk. Yes. Um, super, lucky. super cool. Yeah. And you were speaking about this idea of change, right? And when it comes to delivering a talk on something, it's something that you have to know well. And usually with speaking engagement, specifically like TEDx, it's something that you're generally very passionate about. So how does you speaking of change kind of fit into that equation? Like what does change mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So when I spoke at TEDx, it was in 2019. And my talk was, as you kind of mentioned or foreshadowed, it was called Changing Change. And essentially what it was about was how we as a next generation need to leverage not only change, but collective change in order to make a real tangible impact in terms of all the just existential crises that we are facing as a society. We have so many social issues, like you could list them and go on forever about all the social issues that are here on the planet. There are environmental issues that need to be solved. There are so many problems with the world. And the only way that any of them are going to get solved is not only if we decide to change as people, but we decide to change as a society collectively, right? 
Um, there's a great quote by Henry Ford, and I'm really blanking on it now, but it's something along the lines of, if we decide to move or if we decide to change together, then success takes care of itself. Or if we move forward together, success takes care of itself. And I think uh, one of the points of my talk was, to me, change is three things. One, change is necessary for our survival, adaptability, just for life in general, change is a very necessary thing. Two, change is exponential, right? Uh, it generally leads to this snowball effect where if I change one thing uh, for the better, it changes a lot more things or leads to further changes that are going to further iterate and further better me as an individual. And this happens with society as well. If a small thing changes and people hop onto that change, it becomes a really, really big deal, which is amazing to think mm -hmm. that you can make a really small ripple effect and have it uh, just expand to something that is just absolutely incredible and beautiful and impactful. And I think most of all, change is inevitable, regardless of who you are, what you are, race, color, creed, class, change is going to affect you. It is going to happen and it is going to occur in your lifetime. And I think one of the most common themes with people in general is this fear of change. They get very, very stuck where they are, whether that be mentally, physically, career-wise, they get very comfortable and they don't want change. They fear it. And I think the reason behind that or the underlying reason is fear of the unknown, right? The unknown mm -hmm. can be a very scary thing to navigate. Just being unsure of the state of anything is a very anxious feeling to have. But I think that's something that we as people need to embrace in order to really make the impact or build the future that we want to for ourselves. Those are some really, really great insights. I think I super, super resonate with like um, the lot or the second one in particular, where you mentioned like the ripple effect, like where you have like small changes that, you know, eventually catch on and like compound and then lead into like bigger changes. Yeah. So kind of on that note, like, um, I don't know if you've read the book atomic habits ever, but there's this thing, like there's this concept outlined in the book, um, of cornerstone habits, like small habits that, you know, kind of do the ripple effect that you just mentioned where, you know, you can kind of build a family of habits around it, whether it's like going to the gym or like sleeping early or waking up at 5am, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that, that like kind of tend to, you know, attract other habits to them. So my question for you is like, on the note of the ripple effect that you mentioned, what have been some changes that you've implemented in your life that have been like kind of catalysts for growth in other areas? Yeah, I think, um, to your point earlier, I think the one thing that I've implemented relatively recently like within the past year or two is going to the gym and working out. I think uh, I used to play soccer a lot. So I was always fit. I was always athletic. Oh, but I never I'm a actually, soccer kid too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never actually went to the gym and I, I found that I would go like here and there. I'd go for a week or two, maybe a month consistently. And then for whatever reason, I would stop randomly. And I think in November of 2019, I started going really seriously. I would go five, six times, seven times a week, sometimes like no rest day if I didn't need it. And what it gave me that I didn't find value in before I started going to the gym was a sense of routine. Like, like to mm -hmm. your point of small habits that make a big impact. Originally, I thought of my life as very multidimensional where I have my physical health, I have my mental health, I have my academic uh, I have my career and I thought of those as very separate entities. But once I started going to the gym, I found that it innately boosted my productivity when it came to all other aspects of my life. And now the way I kind of look at my myself is as an ecosystem, all these dimensions aren't independent of one another, but they're very interrelated. And as 
much as you take, like you said, small steps, small ripple effects in one of them, they do have latent effects that are going to be innately positive, assuming you're making positive changes uh, mm -hmm. for the rest of you as a person. And I think the gym has definitely been one of the big ones that I'm missing out on during quarantine, but we try our best. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, home workouts just don't hit the same for me. Like I, I've been trying to do it in my home. You know, we got some dumbbells, we got close, some of those cables. Man. It does Yeah. <laughs> You need that kind of like community aspect to it to kind of keep motivating you. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, like you said, sure. it's just boring. Um, yeah, I mean, like the other thought I had, and kind of, I guess it really ties into both the points that you mentioned. Like one, like with change, and two, with like getting like bigger and stronger. I guess like through going to the gym. Um, like what came to my mind though is like one of Darwin's teachings, right? Like it's not the biggest uh, species, it's not the strongest species um, that persist over time. It's the ones that are most adaptable to change. One hundred percent like you said like it's it's scary as hell but when you can embrace and accommodate some of these all it takes is just one thing like one little spark to catch on that can dramatically change the course of not even just your life but like the life of our entire species and like i know that's super grandiose but i mean it's it's not an understatement to say the least like if it weren't for yeah. the agricultural revolution like we wouldn't be out here skype uh, on zoom using our mics to be like hosting a podcast like what the hell would be a podcast right <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is man butterfly effect like small things happen however many years ago who knows elon's gonna take us to the moon and then someone else is gonna take us to andromeda galaxy or something i don't know but uh, that's just how, yeah. how change works looking that's forward amazing. to that yeah speaking of changes um big change coming up you're graduating soon right oh yes not by um, more. <laughs> Not yeah, I have my last semester to this semester too, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is like, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the, you know, motivation behind Industry Insights was, you know, to help people kind of better identify what careers are out there, you know, what it, what is involved in being a professional in some, some of these fields and sort of like deciding on what you want to do when you graduate. And so question for you, like, how did you, or first, have you figured out what you want to do when you graduate? And second, like, how did you kind of arrive at the decision to formulate that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening in, myself included, who are still kind of unsure about, you know, what's happening after they graduate. Yeah, um, I'd say I'm going to reverse that question just to give a better narrative in terms of I'm going to say, um, I guess, how I went about figuring it out and now what, where, where I'm at now, my current state. Yeah. But I guess um, just to give you more background on, I guess, why I started Industry Insights, the main reason was I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I remember in high school, I was a really big DECA kid, if you're familiar with DECA. Yeah, I did um, DECA. It, those of you that aren't, it's a big business case competition. Uh, fell in love with it, competed all four years, four different categories, competed provincially all four years and internationally in my last year. So loved it. I was good at it. But the kind of double-edged sword there was I didn't know where I saw myself in business. Business is such a broad field. The scope is so wide. There's finance, accounting, consulting, marketing. There's so many options. And my issue was I loved everything. Mm. So uh, going into university, I chose a very general degree where I'd get exposure to everything at a high level. Um, and the only way I kind of figured out what I wanted to do was through my work experience and through networking and my podcast. Originally, I thought, I'd, I, want, I thought I wanted to go into investment banking and the more hardcore finance roles. I worked in finance in my second year summer at a pension company called Omer's. Great experience there. But I realized that finance was something I loved more conceptually in the classroom. And I didn't really see as much value personally doing it uh, in, the work, in the workplace. 
So that was that point in my life where I really took 10 steps back and I reevaluated probably for the first time, what, where do I want to be? What do I like? What do I value as a person? I didn't ask myself the question of what do I want to do for my career? I asked myself, what do I value? And when I really thought about that, I came up with this motto in a way Mm -hmm. of how I value myself or my value system. And the way I value myself is based off of the positive impact I can have on people around me and people in my community, right? That's essentially my framework of making every key decision in my life, whether that be career, where I want to live, it doesn't matter. That's kind of how I've gone about it. And I identified this industry of consulting where every project that you're on is very, very impactful to the company that you're working with. And even beyond Mm -hmm. that, it had a lot of other aspects that I fell in love with. I loved the systematic way of thinking. I loved how many of your projects are kind of like a puzzle and you have to put the pieces together. Um, I love that you're just constantly, constantly learning. That's something I love doing, learning so much about the most random shit. I just love it. So yeah, I thought consulting was definitely the play for me. I started recruiting for consulting roles. I was lucky enough to land an internship at MasterCard last summer, and I'll be returning there full-time. So that's, I guess, the plan now for, for grad. Um, so I'll be starting full-time at MasterCard in August. And after there, I don't know where exactly I want to go. I know I want to stay the consulting route, but I, now I'm thinking more like, oh, do I want to do an MBA? Do I not want to do an MBA? Um, I was lucky enough to work on a healthcare project uh, at MasterCard through my consulting. And I love the healthcare side of business so much that I even thought about doing, or now rather I'm thinking about doing a master's degree on the healthcare side. So in terms of where I see myself in the next 10 years, definitely up in the air. But uh, like you said, to your point of change earlier, I think that's always a dynamic target and it's always evolving and changing in terms of where I see myself. And as I think that's how it should be for anyone. You all love that. Such a great answer. Dude, so many like similarities, I think that Damon and I have had like throughout kind of our careers and like trying to figure out like what we're going to do and like mm-hmm. how like not only the podcast, but like you mentioned, like networking, work experiences, like so many things play into it. And it's kind of funny because school played like probably the smallest part in the all that. Like, if, role. The smallest exactly. role. Yeah. yeah. And so many high school students are like, my career is whatever I do in school. Like that is the number one thing that's going to change you. And you like after graduating, you're like, wait a second, like, like literally had almost nothing to do with the decision I ended up making. So yeah. yeah, like for example, like I'm in electrical and biomedical engineering and like I was super interested in healthcare, you know, that kind of space. And like now I'm going into tech. So like literally absolutely nothing to do with my degree, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I think Damien had a similar experience too. Um, or you, you can share, I guess, more than more well than I can, but uh. <laughs> um, honestly, for me, like same, yeah, like echoing exactly what you guys are saying, school did very little to, I guess, help narrow my focus down because mm. it basically just showed me a bunch of areas that I found were interesting, but most of them were limited, I guess, to the academia side of things. And I knew I didn't want to just like stay in school for that long. Um, at least like not in like one long stretch maybe I'll go back who knows for like a PhD or something yeah um, but it's a lot of the, school yeah <laughs> it's a lot of school but you know what I just I love one thing I do really appreciate about it is the environment like yeah. something about being around a huge group of giant nerds that I just absolutely love because it just gets me so excited about life um, even just in having conversations with some of my profs um, mm-hmm. some of the um, TAs that we've had there's so many people, I mean, like 
hopefully if you're in school for that long, you're doing something you actually are interested in doing and not some like random topic that you're pigeonholed into just because that's the only thing you can get funding for. Aside from that, though, it's it's so like, honestly, when you start talking to these people about the things they're doing, these light up, right? They light up. They love the research. Yeah. And I love hearing about that because the stuff that they're doing really is at the vanguard of knowledge, right? It's at the bleeding edge of like the innovation that we as a species are capable of. And it's just so exciting being in that, in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing that I really, that I really appreciated about it. And that's kind of where some of the value in school had for me is because I'm like a lot of profs now they're turning to entrepreneurship as well. Right. As people are getting more and more PhDs, like the, the market's getting saturated and fewer and fewer people are able to get jobs in academia. So they're turning to entrepreneurship, which is kind of like the next best thing for really smart people, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it's in having conversations with them that kind of opened my eyes up to what are the emerging trends that are happening yeah. right now. Um, for me, like like you guys are saying, like, I'm very much interested in healthcare as well, like, and I'm going down the healthcare route. And they showed me that, you know, these are some of the trends that are emerging, you know, get in early. And I tried to see, okay, which of these things really align with my own interests? And school itself taught me nothing about how to do that. So um, that's, I guess, like one thing that I'll tease out of your answer for anybody listening is go out and speak to as many people as you can. And actually go and do as much of it as possible. Like get some experience under your belt, even if it's not through a formal internship. If you can take on a project with some of you, like your your homies from school, you're gonna it's gonna be so much fun. Like and if especially if you're all a bunch of nerds, like <laughs> nerds have a very special place in my heart. So shout out to all the nerds out there. But speaking of nerds, sorry, that was a long-winded answer to get to oh, this point. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I found my way on the other side of it though. Speaking of nerds, um, you were a Forbes under thirty scholar. <laughs> yes, love yes. to hear it. Um, so thing I have I've a- ever done. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that. I love that. Um, what I have a couple of questions on that. And uh, I know Fouad does as well, but I just want, so I guess starting from the beginning, what do you think distinguished you as a candidate that land you a place in the under 30 roster? Yeah. So I guess just to distinguish the Forbes under 30 scholar program from the under 30 roster. Uh, so I guess the difference is um, what I was part of was essentially Forbes sends a thousand students or not necessarily students, but people under the age of 30 to their cons, uh, to their conference every year. Uh, and it's through an application, they pay for the price of your ticket. And that's kind of how it works. And in terms of what distinguished me, I think the application was online. It wasn't even that long. The main question was what makes you resonate with the qualities of Forbes or whatever Forbes valued. I had to even like Google up the values and come up with something, (laughs) but, um, I think for me personally, it definitely comes back to um, one, my, my storytelling ability. I think uh, storytelling is something that I think about a lot. And I think when I write these narratives or I answer these questions, I always think about, especially in terms of like interviews, I always think about how can I tell a story or build a narrative around whatever it is I want to convey. And I think that's definitely what gave me the, the edge in a way, instead of going, oh, Forbes values this this is how I do this. And Mm. that makes sense. But everyone has that. Everyone has or can pull out some part of their resume that will align with Forbes Forbes qualities. They're very generic. Like, I don't know exactly what they are anymore. Like work hard, do better, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, like technology. Like, oh, I I code on Excel. I know macros. You know what I mean? Like, you can come up with something that will make sense logically. But I guess 
what I'm trying to say here is it's not about what you say, it's how you say it. And I think over time, I've developed a way of storytelling that makes what not whatever I say sound good, but whatever I say resonate with whoever's listening. And I think that's kind of the reason that I was lucky enough to get that opportunity was because I remember when I was writing my application, I, I read it back and I was like, this is a very, very good answer. Very good response to that question because of how good of a narrative I wrote for the question in general. <laughs> I'm getting really repetitive, <laughs> but I think my answer was just a lot better than other answers because I wrote a story that was mm -hmm. personal to me and authentic more than anything. Absolutely. So kind of follow-up question to that, you know, you, you wrote this like narrative answer, you got in, you distinguish yourself. How was the experience and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I'd say, um, it was great. So that year it was in Detroit. Um, yeah, I'm sure you probably don't know this, but I grew up in America. So I was nice oh, no to way. Me back, too. back in America. Um, We're in the States. I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay, cool. I'm from Texas. You? Okay. Okay. Houston. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Austin. Okay. But I had, um, I had a cousin in Michigan, so it was very nice to visit them as well. Or I had family there rather. And it was great. I stayed in a really terrible Airbnb, but that was part of the experience, I guess. <laughs> Always. <laughs> well, in Detroit, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but it was literally like to your point of being in a room with a bunch of nerds. I, I, I love that environment as well. And I think what was really great was talk, like hearing these amazing, amazing speakers, essentially the conference is literally four to five days of just speakers talking about X, Y, Z topics. And you have random speakers, like from the founder of AOL to Quavo, Quavo was there speaking. Right? No way. What? You saw Quavo, Quavo Kevin Durant. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. He had these glasses, Quavo, that were diamond encrusted. <laughs> they were so bright. Like oh I didn't God. get how bright diamond was until i saw quavo iced out it was crazy that's amazing. but um it was amazing <laughs> there, there was concerts chain smokers 21 savage was there um but i think my biggest takeaway or not so much my biggest takeaway but i can talk about my favorite i guess uh presentation or, or q a session it mm -hmm. was with this guy named Roelif bota He's a South African and he's a partner at Sequoia Capital. For those of you that don't know, Sequoia Capital is one of the leading VC funds in the world. And prior to his time at Sequoia, he was part of the PayPal mafia where he was CFO under Elon Musk. So mm -hmm. long story short, ridiculously smart guy. And I remember the moderator on that panel was terrible, like absolute trash. And I think really, I guess, resonating with my point earlier in terms of storytelling what, what Roelof was so good with was taking a terrible question and coming up with this narrative and this story that was just so compelling that for the entire hour and a half, I was just so drawn in and engaged because of how well he spoke and how articulate mm -hmm. he was. And mm -hmm. I think a lot about my own public speaking style, like being a TEDx speaker, like how I can better myself as a speaker. And mm -hmm. I, there are definitely people I look up to. Hassan Minaj is one of them, for example. Love but Rolof Botha specifically, I was just so blown away by how impactful his words were and the most subtle way, because he never explicitly said, this is my point, but he just told you a story and somehow innately I picked up on his points. And I think that was something wow. that was really beautiful. And to this day, I still think about uh, when I'm like, not writing speeches or whatever it may be. How can I get that same effect from my audience? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's such a powerful, powerful skill. And like, honestly, I'm always blown away by people who it, it feels like they just speak in prose. Like somehow it's like they're reading the words off like a novel. Like, I don't know how it's off the dome. Like they're freestyling like crazy, but it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, like you said, you're just drawn into that story. And it's so powerful because especially if you're a smart person, like there's a lot of smart technical people who just can't communicate well. And then because of that, are useless. It's, it's exactly useless, right. Yeah, there's, I mean, even, um, uh, so like Google has this, um, I forgot what it's called, but like they devote basically 20%, like any employee can devote 20% of their time there. Oh yeah, to working on, time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing though, right? Like if you want to recruit an engineer to your project, yeah, you have to sell them on it, right? So regardless of how important, like this could be a new project that, like that brings an extra billion dollars to Google, right? In revenue. But if you mm. can't sell that vision to the engineer, nobody's going to come and work on it with you, regardless of how impactful it could actually be. And that's why storytelling is so important, right? Like you need mm. to sell that vision. That's why Steve Jobs is such a legend. Like, mm. like yeah, like if it was just Wozniak on the front, like Wozniak is one of the smartest technical dudes out there. But like how, like Steve Jobs just packaged everything into this service. And that's why like, if it weren't for him, like Apple wouldn't be what it is today, regardless of close. how smart you are, right? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of my most common questions that people ask me is, um, what what do you owe your success to? That's a question I always ask on my podcast. So sometimes people ask me it. And mm-hmm. I think for me, what's been the biggest catalyst for my so-called success in a way has always been, or I've always attributed it to my charisma and my ability to communicate. I think without those two traits, all of the technical skills are like under the rug. And I think when it comes to, for example, like getting jobs or just getting opportunities in general, we live in a time where the talent pool coming out of schools are the best they've ever been. Like inarguably. Makes me mad, honestly. (laughs) Everyone is ridiculously smart. It doesn't matter if they're an English major. They've done some code academy course that has taught them how to code anything. Like they could build a rocket if they wanted to. But at the end of the day, what sets you apart is like your ability to engage with people and be charismatic and be likable. That's something that it's very, very, very hard to teach and has to be picked up over years of time, right? So Mm -hmm. I think like that was just expanding on your point in terms of it doesn't matter how smart you are if you don't have Mm -hmm. the ability to work with people and communicate your ideas. Yeah, I well, first off, I love that you you have that like traditional question because we actually have that too. So it's a good time to, uh, you know, break it out as well. But first, let me comment on that. Like, yeah, I think it's so important, like case in point, like Gmail and Google Maps are both products that started from that 20% flex time at Google. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. billion dollar plus industries now, billion dollar plus products, right? So it's amazing how like storytelling, like, you know, like if you have one takeaway, Google Maps wouldn't have existed without storytelling, right? So um, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing how important that is. And we actually had Melanie Diesel on the podcast uh, a few episodes back, who's like an expert in storytelling. She actually wrote a book on it. She like literally wrote a book on storytelling, which is amazing. Um, but she had like a lot of similar points, like just being able to sell your vision and being compelling enough to have someone on board with you. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, you know, if what you're saying is objectively good or objectively true. All that matters is, um, you know, that you can get someone on board with your vision. And unfortunately... Yeah. You know, we're, we're starting to see like the dark side of that in terms of populism in our in our politics and things like that. Right. Like argue what you want against Trump, but he's pretty good at getting people on his vision. Right. And yeah. so, you know, it's just important to like consider like how important that is. But, you know, going back to kind of our traditional question, um, the question we like to ask on the podcast, like before we close out, I guess, always is 
Um, if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions, even billions of people, and you can target this message to whoever you want, or you could just leave it open. What message would you put on that billboard and why? Okay. So I can put one message on a billboard for everyone to see. Yeah. Literally anyone you want. Yeah. Okay. I think, um, I think I'd make it very simple. Uh, I'd say make someone smile. It's like another one of my like life mottos, like my favorite suit I have it stitched on the inside of to always remind myself. I think the world is such a, I guess, cynical place, especially in today's times. There's always Mm -hmm. some headline of a story that's absolutely depressing taking place somewhere in the world. And I think the best way to go about just making things a little bit easier for everyone is having a positive impact on at least one person next year mm-hmm. and i think that's that's what i do that's i love beautiful. that i mean it reminds me of cyrus's answer too like i love these wholesome answers to this question <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we get some uh we get some real gems out of this and like i guess this is one of those questions that people's real i guess character starts to shine out or like what value what's the true hit like core value i guess because yeah. that's the thing they want to project out to most people so i love that love that answer Mm-hmm. um shravin thank you so much for your time brother yeah if you uh, do you have any, you have any final thoughts or anything any shout outs like if people want to reach you where can they reach you uh yeah sure i guess um well first of all thank you for having me it's been a pleasure of getting to know you guys for the last i don't know 30 minutes to an hour uh in terms of if you guys <laughs> want to reach me uh feel free to message me on linkedin uh shravin vijaya boskaran or my podcast industry insights with shravin vijaya boskaran on all streaming platforms but yeah thank you guys If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening.